they all have the potential to make just as big of a huge positive contribution in this world. Which is part of the reason why I'm so adamant about people getting their shit together and realizing their full potential. Because there's so many people who could be, and I would argue should be, and I wish they would be, making a bigger, more positive impact on the world, but instead they hide behind excuses. While Arjun was away, Team Arjun came to play. All the cats out of the bag now, folks, but we're still here bringing you our favorite and most importantly, actionable insights to Arjun's newest book, Profit First for Lawyers. We're going to help you accelerate your law firm's growth so that you can experience more profit in every aspect of your life. We're also going to be providing some behind-the-scenes footage at what it's really like to work with Arjun Robbins. So, put your BS aside for the next few minutes and put yourself, your family, your firm, and your profit first. Welcome back to another episode of the Profit First for Lawyers podcast. Today, if you're watching this on YouTube, we have a bit of a special spooky surprise because today is Halloween. And do you know who on Team Arjun loves Halloween? That's right. Today, well, we'll see if you can guess. We are joined by the master of death himself. Welcome back to the show. Let's see if the audience can guess who you are before the big reveal. It's very nice to be here. Thank you very much for having me. You know, it's uh, not very often that I get to take time off, but uh, when I do, I guess it's a great, awesome podcast appearance. Oh, well, I've never had such a um, illustrious guest before as Mr. Death. I get that a lot. You know, most people are very freaked out of me, but... Uh, I'm kind of a nice guy, you know, something that people don't know about me is that I really enjoy uh, putting profits first. Sometimes it's the profit of of death and, uh, you know, getting people to uh, the ultimate profit, which is the afterlife. But, uh, yeah. Oh, I cannot handle this. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, I adore you so much. Okay. Three seconds for guesses, folks. Put in your guesses mentally. Three, two, one. Welcome back to the show. Who are you? I am none other than... Raul. have you back, especially for this Halloween episode. Uh, There are none others that I would even think about doing this one with. Uh, Do you want to go ahead and tell the audience how much you love Halloween? I mean, I was impressed by this, so let's just share. Well, my God. I mean, if anybody can see the video behind me, I have not only vintage, creepy magazines and all sorts of gothic, cultish-looking stuff back here, the entire suite of Universal monster movies up there. I mean, I am just head over heels for this time of year. (laughs) Uh, You had mentioned to Team Arjun that your wife even gave you a Halloween-themed birthday party. That was in August, right? Oh, my God. I was surprised to death, one would say. Beautiful. Well, one of the main reasons that I brought you on today, Raul, is not only because it's Halloween and I love spooky time, if if I can just have a slight off the beaten path thing here. Now, look, I thought that I was coming in 
being the most extra today with my very handmade Luigi costume. And then Raul got on and I was like, thank you. Thank you. I did it. You know, my kiddo asked me for this one. So I, I had to figure out how to make Mario and Luigi. Um, at least the heights were very comparable, right? To the original video games. Uh, but there's nobody who can out extra Raul on Halloween. So that was number one reason why I brought you on for this episode. But the second reason is because I know that you're going to have a lot of really actionable insights about the topic that we're speaking on today. Uh, for those of you listening, now normally when I have somebody from Team Arjun on the show, um, they choose a clip from all of the many clip options that we have to choose from, uh, from the over 30 hours that we spent in studio, um, our John and I back in May. And today I decided, you know, today I'm going to surprise Raul. So here is a clip that I chose that Raul has never seen before. I'm hoping for some, uh, real, live, authentic reactions from Mr. Raul. So uh, let me give you some preface here, both Raul and to the audience at home. Uh, I mentioned a while back that one of the really cool things that Arjun had done um, when he was writing this book was actually he did a big Facebook Live in front of everybody. He talked through the book um, and was able to kind of figure out what things people wanted more information on live right there. And I recently found those original recordings. So uh, this particular clip that we're going to see today is from the original recording. This is December 2021, I believe. So this was about two years ago now. Uh, things in Arjun's world have already changed so quickly, but I still thought this was a really, really interesting insight. Uh, so let's see if you agree. Let's go ahead and roll that clip. They make up fantasies. They make up fairy tales. They make up bullshit, right? Doesn't require the same amount of effort, skill, intelligence, or dedication to work on the assembly line as to design the assembly line. But most of the workers who are working on the assembly line don't understand that. And it's not because they're stupid. It's because they've never experienced what it takes to design an assembly line and make it work. And so you have the same thing happening with struggling law firm owners, right? They see the successful law firm owner and lawyers do the exact same thing. Just because they're lawyers doesn't mean they're the 1%, right? The broke struggling law firm owners, they're making up the same fairy tales and making up the same bullshit stories to fill in the massive gaps of their knowledge and understanding about what it takes to run a successful law firm, they're making up the same stories as the, as the servers are making up, is the point of making. And the proof of that is how many times have you both personally witnessed me spelling something out for a group of struggling lawyers? And I'll say, if you'll do this and this and this, and it costs no money, it just requires you to go out of your comfort zone, you will be able to grow your law firm by this much. And then if you'll reinvest this much to then do this next thing, you can grow your law firm by that much. And if you reinvest some of that much, you can grow your law firm by that much. And they don't do it. I've been around for two years, 365 a year, about almost 800 days. So about like 
what a lot. Twenty-five. You see a lot of twenty-five times a day. You see this all the time. I said the last two out of the last three. How hard is it? How hard is it to understand this basic, basic concept? Right, the very basic concept. Take the profit out of your business first. Take the taxes that you are going to be paying on that profit along with it. Stick that money aside, and then force yourself. To run the business on what's left over, and make the tough choices, hold the people accountable, do the planning, implement the strategies, do the work necessary to make the business work with what's left over. But they don't do it. Why don't they do it? Because they would rather make up a story about the reason that I get to have a twenty-something million-dollar business is because. I am born into money. I'm not because I have rich friends and family. I don't because I got lucky. I sure as fuck didn't get lucky. And fuck you for ever accusing me of that. I mean, luck had something to do with it, but luck has something to do with everyone's success. Luck also had a lot to do with everyone's failure. But I don't quit. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. We we'll talked about that extensively in my career. The point I'm making is. It's truly a shame that more people who have struggling law firms don't give themselves the opportunity to get up close and personal and spend quality time with people who have highly successful law firms. Because if you were to be around more people who have highly successful law firms. You would discover that they're really not that much different than you. At least they didn't used to be that much different than you. They just did the things that you weren't willing to do, and that's why they got the results that you don't have yet. Well, Which should be encouraging, because it means you could get the results if you just do the work. First thoughts, Raul. Man, coming off of that was just a, a subtle, yeah, buddy, am I right? <laughs> well, I could see why you picked this clip for our Halloween episode. Um, he may not have mentioned the word fear directly in that, but the whole concept of what he is talking about is related to fear. Um, in this case, you're in your comfort zone because you fear the unknown. Um, and yeah, I, I think that this is an extremely powerful jumping off point for what is going to be a very spooky, fearful episode for some listeners. But sadly, I think it's what they need to hear. Yeah. You know, and I think too, there are a lot of points, even though obviously I am not a lawyer. I have never owned a law firm, but but when I was going back through some of the older footage and, and when this clip caught my attention, it was because it really resonated with me too on some of the areas in my life where somebody had shown me, here's an issue that you have, and here is a relatively simple, I'm not going to say easy, but a simple fix that you could put into place to solve this problem and to get you closer to your goals. And there are many times in my life where I've been presented with such an opportunity, but I, I wasn't 
I either wasn't open or I wasn't disciplined enough to actually do what was needed. And then we had to spend another round in the um, in the hamster wheel and get to the same point and get to very similar uh, advice once again um, before I finally got up that hill. I, I think that's a, a good example of the Dunning-Kruger effect again, right? So first off, I can definitely understand what you're talking about, about being in the midst of a problem somebody gives you a simple solution and you just for one reason or another don't take that and end up, like you said, being in that Dunning-Kruger crawling up the hill just to fall back down, you know, insert myth of Sisyphus uh, reference right here. Um, But if I could interview the interviewer for a second, what stopped you from taking that advice in the past? Oh, uh, you know, it was fear and ego. Both of those things. And not always simultaneously either, um, although sometimes I think probably both at the same time. <laughs> but it was fear, number one, that it either wouldn't work or that it would. I'll go into that in just a second. Uh, but then the ego as well to be like, oh, well, this person's, not every aspect of this person's life is perfect. And so how dare they give me any insight? You know, thankfully, I will say that that is a, a folly of youth that I have, for the most part, um, learned to kind of power through. Uh, but I think the fear really came from, what if I do this? And what if it works? And what if I get what I want? And what if I'm either not equal to the challenge of getting what I want? What if I don't know how to behave in my new reality? I, I don't know if that made sense. It definitely does. Yeah. Like almost when, sometimes when you get what you've been dreaming of, um, you still kind of mourn what you left behind. At least I, I have been in that pattern before, right? You mourn what you left behind, even though what I have now is objectively much better than what I had before, right? It's still that transition period where you kind of have to mourn. This is the way that the world was for me. This is what I thought that I was possible, my self-limiting beliefs. And if I tear down my self-limiting beliefs and I force myself to grow, then, oh, that's scary. That's a new world. It definitely is. And it's um, interesting that you do bring up fear and ego because the two do kind of feed off of one another. I mean, at first glance, maybe they don't, but your ego in a way drives your fear. Because like you said, it's either like, I think the, your Ego drives the fear in the sense of like, you feel like an imposter, maybe like, oh, I don't want to get what I really want, because when I get there, I'm going to fail. And I'm going to prove to myself that I'm not as good as my ego says. So it's kind of like shielding you from that potential future where you get what you want, you fail, and then you take that as a failure instead of a learning experience and grow into your true self. Yeah, you know, and that's one of the things that Arjun mentions right around the time of this clip, right, is that people view the life, I'll I'll speak with myself or to myself, right, directly here is that when I was dreaming about what I wanted my life to look like, I was looking at the people who were leading the life that I wanted mine to look like. And I was making excuses for why they had it and why I didn't, because I couldn't, right? Oh, I could never because X, Y, Z, right? That's always easier. 
That's always the easier route. I don't know where this quote comes from, but I've heard it a few times that like there are multiple ways to have the tallest building in a city. You could put in the work and build the tallest building in the city, or you could tear everyone else's down. And it's just like, that is kind of what the excuses are like, oh, he's lucky. He got that because he talked to the right person or his family comes from money or he had blah, blah, blah kind of privileges that I didn't. When at the end of the day, it's like, well, if you applied yourself, if you maybe went to learn a little bit more about the things this person knows, it's kind of like you're judging them on their social media look, if you would, like you're looking at a couple of Instagram posts and thinking that you know this person's intricacies of their life when it's like you don't see the hours, the work that they put in where they're not showing. And that gives you comfort to just tell yourself, oh, well, they're full of shit. They're only here because of luck or privilege. Yeah, that's an interesting pointer, Raul. I I wonder if ego has its root in lack of self-esteem in some ways, or it can. It's almost like a, a, a protective mechanism somewhat. Like you're, I mean, that's kind of what the Dunning-Kruger effect is. The, what is it? The peak of stupidity. It's where your competence is low, but your confidence is high. Like you maybe don't want to admit, or you have this sort of, well, I guess ego is the only way to put it, that you know everything, but you've never really experienced anything at all. So it's like you, the only person who thinks you know everything is you. And in some ways, it's good to have that in the beginning as the Dunning-Kruger effect shows, like you fail, you learn from it, you start to gain competence and pretty soon you're past that. But it's the ones who stay uh, stuck in that cycle of like, oh, this is going to keep driving me, that it is fear. Because then at that point, your ego keeps you from learning or accepting what other people are saying or the fact that maybe there's this person didn't get here because of the excuses that you're putting on it it's just that you are not putting in the work but your ego messages are driving you in a way to show that like oh it's the outside world woe is me it's it's out of my control I like that perspective. And let me ask you then, Raul, from a practical standpoint, because you are, in general, one of the people that I think of as the one of the most efficient and um, great at getting your, your uh, projects in by deadline. Um, you seem to be really, really good at this. So let me ask you, especially in a creative role such as, such as you have, how do you force yourself to move past the fear? Or do you force yourself, right? How do you continue doing the things that are good for you and meeting your deadlines and accomplishing your goals when your subconscious or your ego or um, your fear is screaming at you to stop? This question immediately made me think, like as you were asking it, it makes me think of a quote from Game of Thrones. Um, (laughs) It's Eddard Stark tells his son, who's like, you know, they're talking about fear and being afraid and how could a man be courageous while he's afraid? And it's like, oh, well, the only time you can have courage is when you are afraid. Mm. Because if if you don't have, if, if you're not afraid, then you're not really 
showing courage because you're just doing something that probably makes this creative answer sound a lot more profound than it is. But that's a preface to make it sound cooler that (laughs) almost every major creative project I do comes with some amount of fear that I'm not going to top my previous performance. You and I are both musicians. Uh, It's something that a lot of musicians I'm sure face as well. My last album was amazing. How am I ever going to create an album to follow up with that? Like, how am I going to top my last performance? And at least with me in a creative sense, that's almost every major creative project. And not the little things like designing graphics for a website, but one that I experience four times a year is the (laughs) LQM workbooks. And this one that we just had, which by the way, go to howtomanageasmalllawfirm.com and look up our live quarterly meetings. You are missing some great things if you are not checking those out. Here, here. And the workbooks are fantastic. Oh, thank you very much. I believe I have one right here. And that was not planned at all. There we go. What a long- Oh, that turned out so beautifully. It turns out amazing. And that scares the shit out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Because it looks amazing. So hopefully the next one is even better, which means the one after that has to be even better. And that's where the fear sets in. Like, oh man, I'm going to keep this going. And what if I run out of ideas? And what if this next quarter they find out I'm a hack and that I can't do anything? And yeah, it just becomes a fear cycle. But I think the way to get over the fear, at least the way I do it, is honestly just accepting that you very well may fail and that's okay. Whatever stumbles you make along the way, you're not going to die from it. It won't be the end of the world. And I guess you have to have a certain level of confidence in yourself at your core that even if I fail at this, it's not the end. I, I really enjoy that, that perspective as far as just accepting the fear, right? Because that's very different than pushing through the fear. Um, and it made me think, this, this might be a really ridiculous um, analogy with that, but it is so much fun to do comedy. Um, and to be on stage and to watch your fellow performers like being wacky and crazy. And I always thought that I was terrible at comedy because I could never keep a straight face. Um, because I'm sure that the listeners have noticed by now, right? I laugh at everything. Um, I think people are hysterical. People love to tell me their absolute worst puns because I will laugh every single time. I love them. And so <laughs> I have a, I, I used to have a really hard time being on stage with, with these creative people and not laughing at the things that they were doing that were truly hysterical, which made me a really poor performer on the stage until I discovered that for me, the secret to not laughing on stage was to give myself permission to find it funny. And so I'll do this every time. If I'm, if I'm in a comedy, I will, before I go on stage, I will close my eyes and I will tell myself, you have permission to find this funny. And you're, face muscles don't need to react, right? Like you can, you can 
keep stoic, you can keep in character, but you have permission to find this funny. And and just the act of giving myself permission instead of trying to think to myself, don't smile, don't smile, don't smile, right? Um, allowed me to play in that sphere. And now it's kind of funny because I get hired for comedy gigs more than any, I mean, I can't remember the last time I did a drama and that used to be my bread and butter was drama, but now now it's comedy all the time. So... <laughs> Anyway, but I like that, giving yourself permission. You know, and the other thing that I really loved that you mentioned was that you cannot have courage without fear. And I, I think that that is sometimes a, a mindset trap that we all get in, that if I am afraid, then I'm a coward. I thought that was really profound, though. Actually, as you were describing, and I think I'm remembering the exact quote, I think it's, how can a man be brave if he's afraid? It says, the only time a man can be brave is when he is afraid. And yeah, it's just like facing the dragon and knowing that if you don't face it, then it's just oblivion for you. Maybe that's too intense of a way of saying it, but it's just like kind of like anxiety. That's something that I've struggled with for years. And it used to be social anxiety. I couldn't go to the grocery store without you know, my palms sweating or shortness of breath and almost getting panic attacks. Really? And yes, it, it was pretty bad. Something my therapist said and that I looked up online, read in books, is that anytime you give in to your anxieties, you're just proving to yourself that that is dangerous. So I would go to the, to the grocery store, I would be in the parking lot, and I would start feeling a panic attack coming. And then I'm like, I'm going to leave. And I just left. And for the longest time, it would just get worse. But then one day I realized I just got to go in. And I went in and I kept my, like, you know, kept my ear or my, my earphones in and listening to music and head down and just trudged through it. And at the end of it, I was like, I'm alive. Nothing bad happened. And the next time was easier. And the time after that was easier. And going in with the thought that it may be bad. I may have to leave. I may have to go to the side or like, you know, sit down or something, but that's okay. And kind of having that acceptance that things may not go the way I expect, but the fact is I'm still in there and I'm still moving forward. And it just made everything that much easier later on. Okay. I don't mean to uh, bring everything back to theater, but <laughs> you made me think of um, something else that I have found. You know, I never asked myself, what is, what, is something, what is something that you have learned that has provided a lot of profit in your life? And one of those things is an acting professor who once told me, if your goal in going to an audition is to get the part then this industry is going to eat you alive because there are, you know, getting a part is something like 10% about talent. It's 90% uh, what you look like, what you look like compared to the other people that they're going to cast you with, who you know, who knows you, who's worked with you before, you know, what your reputation is. Like that has a lot more to do with you getting cast than your actual level of talent, what you bring to the table. But what he said, I have taken this everywhere uh, and it has been, it has served me so well in my life. He said, if your goal when you go to the audition is not to get the part, but it is instead to have a really good, fun audition, then 
you accomplish it every single time. And then even when you get rejected, it, it doesn't feel like you have been rejected, right? Because you already accomplished your goal. And, and that's kind of what this is making me think of when you say, you know, if the goal was go in and do all the shopping, right? Um, then you could have, when you were making your baby steps, you could very well have not done that. But if your goal instead was to get out of the car, was to take one step further every single time, then that is something that you could feel really good about. Five minutes of courage, as Zoe would say, right? And maybe that's what got you all the way to the end of the shopping line, to the to the cash register and to out of the doors, um, feeling super proud of yourself. No, yes, you, you make it manageable. You use the perfect word there, baby steps. It's not like you said with your acting example. I'm not going out there expecting that this is going to be my big break and that I'm going to get an Oscar next year. It's, I'm <laughs> just nice. going out because I love acting and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to have a great time doing it. And if I get the, the part, that's awesome. But if I don't, that's cool too. And you know what's funny about that is when you do it that way, I my rate of rejection went down by something that, I mean, I've never, by a lot, right? If it was like uh, every 10 auditions, you're going to get rejected nine times, way less than that. I might go out for nine auditions and get rejected three times. I, I think that's an interesting thing to note that when you take baby steps, when you allow yourself to have some courage or to change your mindset, um, that your ability to fail gets harder. Does that make sense? So one thing that I found interesting that you had mentioned was you used the word stoic, which I thought is interesting in this conversation particularly, because something that the stoic philosophers, people like Seneca or Marcus Aurelius used to do is a mindset exercise where they would picture the worst outcome possible in any given endeavor. And they would really not just think about it and like, oh, um, I'm going to the grocery store and the worst thing ever was I can have a heart attack. Okay, let's try to go in. It's like they would really try to immerse themselves almost as if they were living that moment. And the exercise is you get comfortable in that worst place. So after you've somewhat experienced the worst possible outcome and you realize you're still there and you're still alive, then anything else is just anything else is going to be better than that. It's kind of like I've experienced this. That is the absolute depths of this experience if I move forward. And I'm okay with that. So let's move forward and I have no expectations of reaching the top, but I've been to the bottom and I'm comfortable here. I'm not bad. And it kind of gets rid of that, the, the pressure that you have to perform. The same pressure, honestly, that kind of stops you from performing at your worst or, or at your mm. best. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, and I've, I've been curious as you've been Speaking because obviously, you know, you've spent a lot of time with Arjun, especially right before the live quarterly meetings as you're getting all the workbook stuff together. And you've seen how he works 
I don't know anybody who can work the way that Arjun works. I spent I spent a week out in Miami with him, and I was so tired by the end of that trip. Um, but he he does get a lot of stuff done. He is a high performer, um, and I often wonder, you know, how he prevails through the fear. I know you guys talk a lot about philosophy. Has he ever? Have you guys ever ever spoken about that or about, you know, how to move forward? Uh, uh, that's actually one point of philosophy we have not discussed at this particular point in time, but I'm sure that this episode will be a great <laughs> launching pad for future conversations. <laughs> yeah, one for next time, one for next time. It is interesting that we have not talked about something like that. And um, I wonder if I could have my ego possibly answer just a little bit. Um, I wonder if we have not talked about that, because maybe I have not exhibited that much fear around him to where he would find that um, a necessary coaching moment, if that makes sense. I think that that makes sense. Because something I've noticed about Arjan, and this is to any listener who wants to get a real insight of working with him Um he has a real knack for sensing things that you try to keep below the surface. Um, if you are wearing a mask or you're putting up walls around a certain part of yourself, he has a knack for noticing that. And like a grandmaster chess player is going to start moving pieces to attack those spots particularly. And that is why I say that. Not to say that I'm somebody who's never afraid or whatever, because I definitely <laughs> am. Um, it's just, I feel like my fearful moments, especially in the creative endeavors, as you brought up earlier, are a lot more private. Yeah. You know, I, I like this and I'm, I'm taking this in kind of the grand scheme of things with Arjun's clip too, because there are so many times where he has given good advice to me or you know I've seen him give great advice to to many people <laughs> but sometimes people choose not to take very good advice right i mean arjun himself has talked about times when he hasn't taken his own good advice and and it sounds like some of the the best advice and actually i've heard arjun say this too is to face it right you can't do anything about your reality until you know what your reality is, until you know the truth, until you've faced the truth. Uh, you know, there have been times in my life, especially in college, where I would get so scared of failure and of not being able to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish and not having enough money and not having the finances that I would refuse to look in my bank. Um, because I didn't want to see the state of the accounts. <laughs> I didn't want to see what was in there, you know, um, that I would, I would avoid the discomfort or the anxiety or the pain of it. And I could not make a plan. I could not make decisions based on finance, based on finances because I wasn't looking. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what this explanation is bringing up for me, Raul, is that, you know, Arjun's very good advice is, Unless you know the truth of something, you can't do anything about it. And so you should face it. And what I'm hearing from you is that when you face it and you base it in reality, it banishes some of the ghosts, right? And not all of them. You're probably still going to have some kind of anxiety there. Um, but it seems like that's a really good way to start making baby steps. 
is to hear the things that I know that I should do. Um, and if I just take one step forward, that will get me closer to my end goal. You know, that was a very beautiful, concise way to put those two points. And it really, it made me think of a classic Halloween movie that I could reference <laughs> as a perfect, as a perfect example of this. It's none other than the Halloween classic, The Sandlot. Have you ever seen it? The Sandlot? <laughs> I've never thought of it as a Halloween classic before, Raul. Go on. Damn it, today it is. So something that you had said with Arjun's lesson is you need to call things out. You need to look. You need to see the state of things. Don't leave things in the unknown. And that could very much be represented as the boys from the Sandlot with the Beast. Mm. The Beast was a legend. He was this giant dog that ate kids and he was this monster behind the fence nobody even looked over there nobody everybody was afraid to even approach it so the beast grows in the kids minds to the point where they hit a prize baseball over the fence and go through all this trouble to try to get it because this beast is a monster only for benny the main character or one of the main characters faces his fear and realizes I have to go over there. I have to jump the fence and I have to face the beast. And it's only at the time that he jumps the fence that the beast comes out and it's just a dog. It's not a monster. It's just a dog. And not even that. He takes the ball, fun chase sequence happens, and it turns out it's not just a dog. It's a nice dog. It becomes a friend to all the kids of the Sandlot. And this urban legend, this beast, this, you know, eater of children <laughs> becomes just a friend. And it was always stuck behind there. And if, they, if Benny had never taken those steps and jumped the fence, put a face on this monster, it would have stayed that way forever, for generations. The legend would have only grown. And it's that first step over into the unknown that makes it known and therefore takes away the fear from it. Ooh, every time Raul, you get me with something profound every single time. God, I love that. What a, what a great way to kind of wrap that up, right? If there are things that you are avoiding or that you're not taking action on, um, examine your why. Why am I not taking action on? And then make a plan, face forwards towards the light. Try to unmask your uh, your ghost, whatever it is, right? I'm just picturing Scooby-Doo and the gang, right? <laughs> like Unmask the ghost. Take a look at the man behind the curtain um, and figure out how to move forward in fear. Man, Raul, I'm so glad that you came on today. Thank you so, so much for uh, letting me surprise you with this particularly spooky clip. Um, thank you as well for participating in costumes. <laughs> of course. You know I was going to come in costume one way or another. And thank <laughs> you. Honestly, I love the format of being surprised by a clip and just having a spontaneous conversation about it and just shows how much you know me. Because you picked the conversation based around fear and ego and 
all the good stuff that you knew we were going to have a good chat about. And boy, oh boy, did we ever. Thanks for playing along today, Raul, and uh, letting me spring something on you. And hey, folks, that's what we've got for you today. I hope that you have found this episode really enlightening. If you want to take a look at some of Raul's other excellent interviews, we've got the links to those in our show notes below. Stay tuned next time for more actionable insights, and we'll see you there. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Profit First for Lawyers. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, tell a friend. And buy your copy of the book at ProfitFirstForLawyers.com. Your future self will thank you for it. And we will see you next time.